Hello, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. And it's a bonus episode! Mm. <clears throat> Pardon my croak, I have a cold. You do. Um, I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. And I would like to acknowledge the Wajuk Noongar people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today and pay my respects to their elders past and present. Because yes, I am still in Perth, where I will now be for the foreseeable future, because life is a nightmare and living is misery. (laughs) I can't believe this. Like, we were so close to having an actual in-person visit, like so close. And then... Not only... Not only have I been deprived of my gen time and seeing my friends and going to see Hamilton, I'm also now stuck in Western Australia because New Zealand has closed the bubble with Australia because Australia has got COVID everywhere. Yay! And now, who knows when I'll get home. You will get home, though. Eventually. Perth went into a four-day lockdown at midnight last night. And I was like, oh no. And then I went, wait, in the entire time I've been here, I've gone absolutely nowhere. I go for a run every day and that is it. I don't leave the house. So how does this change anything? I know. It's it's bad, isn't it? Like you're like, oh, I can't do any. Oh, I wasn't doing anything anyway. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let's have a bonus episode and let's like just throw the schedule out of the window and let's just talk about something fun and not terrible. Yeah. No, this is good because we've decided to read Muse of Nightmares and talk about it because, of course, we've just finished Strange Dreamer and we had so many feelings and I needed to know what happened. So we both just blitzed Muse of Nightmares. <laughs> and so why quickly. not talk about it? So, yeah, we don't really have any themes or focus, but we're just going to have a chat. And you called it the literally equivalent of doing a kickstand, <laughs> which I quite enjoy. Because we both read it so fast. It's like, go, 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 go. <laughs> yeah. Which is how we normally read, and then we take our time with the close reading. So, Mm. yeah, this is an interesting one. But there was so much going on. Yeah, it was a huge book. I'd love to, like, go back and do it as a close reading someday, but um, I did just need, like, the resolution. I I haven't read it. Like, I hadn't read it before. Like, the first time I I read Strange the Dreamer, I was kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. I don't really want to know. But because I've spent so much time with these characters, I, I needed to know. I needed to know. Yeah. How could you live, like, the fact that it was on such a cliffhanger, I think this speaks to our different personalities, because I was like, I need to know that she's going to be okay, that Minya isn't going to be, like, tormenting her forever. And you were like, eh, we'll see. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Like, I understand stopping a series when it's, like, three or four books in, but it's only, like, when it's only a duology, it's like, but, 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 but. Yeah. half the story but you do not finish more than I do too like I usually stay to the bitter end with a book oh yeah no I'm a big fan of DNFing like if uh, I usually give a book a couple of chapters and if it doesn't grab me I'm like nah you know three chapters and if I don't want to pick it up again then I'm out because there are too many books that I want to read I can't be committing that much time and you know sometimes that's to my detriment because there are a lot of books that I read And sometimes I'll stick with them because people tell me that they're amazing. So I'm like, okay, I will read the book, even though I don't particularly like it. And then I get to the end and like, it really comes together in the end, or there's like a really great final line sometimes even. And I'm like, wow, okay, reading this entire book was worth it for this final line. I think that's how I felt about 
the Hunger Games trilogy. Like, it was good and it really engaged me. But then the bit that got me was the end when, uh, spoiler alert, she didn't kill the person she was supposed to kill and instead killed the new fascist. And that was mm. like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I stuck with it through it to this point because it was say it was saying something completely different. Yeah, and that that last Hunger Games book is a bit of a slog. Yeah, I just want them to be happy. Like I get like, and look, this is the thing. It's good that we have it because trauma is one hundred percent not an easy hand wavy thing. You have to go through it, and she did have to go through it. So, but also as a reader, you're just like, stop being brainwashed, Peter. Love her again, Peter. I think the thing that really got me was just that she was unconscious for so much of it. Because every time she was freaking out, they would just like put her under. And so then you'd wake up to these chapters where they would explain everything that had happened while she was unconscious. And I'm like, can't we just, what is happening? Show don't tell people what is going on. <laughs> and especially for a screen, because doesn't, isn't Suzanne Collins a screenwriter? I yeah. That she does just... scripts and stuff, TV and, and movies. Well, we should stop talking about Hunger Games because we're not actually talking about <laughs> Hunger It's always Harry Potter or Hunger Games with us. Oh, well, there's going to be lots of Harry Potter chat in this because my boy Thion comes good, doesn't he? Mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. bless him. Should we start so with Thion? Can we start with Thion? Oh, Thion, what a redemption arc. It was so good. Should we actually say what happened? I, like, I have my book, but like... Yeah, maybe read the blurb. <laughs> In the wake of tragedy, neither Laszlo nor Sarai are who they were before. One a god, the other a ghost. They struggle to grasp the new boundaries of themselves as dark-minded Minya holds them hostage, intent on vengeance against wheat. Laszlo faces an unthinkable choice, save the woman he loves or everyone else, while Sarai feels more helpless than ever. But is she? Sometimes only the direst need can teach us our own depths, and Sarai, the muse of nightmares, has not yet discovered what she's capable of. So that's kind of the, like, beginning to start us out. And I have to say, like, it does start, and you feel very much like, okay, so they're all introducing themselves, like, Ruby's trying to peep in on Laszlo. We expect this. Sparrow's starting to, like, understand that maybe it's not just plants that she can maybe work with because she goes over to Sarai's body to, like, make sure that there's no spark of life in it. Um, Which is so, like, I really love that because, you know, she was making Sarai's hair grow longer. So we already knew she had an effect on, like, human bodies. Mm, it's like life force, right? I really enjoyed Sparrow's arc in this I thought it was really it was so quiet and she sort of just got on with it but it's such a maturity that she comes into and it's so beautiful to witness she's great and she always has the best ideas she does she's a smart one Mm. okay but yes so basically what happens is Minya has Sarai in her power Laszlo has kind of got to agree to everything Minya says um and they're so they're at what looks like this impasse but Laszlo is starting to clue into the fact that Minya doesn't really want this to be the only way she just doesn't know any other way of doing it like he's getting Mm. that before literally everybody else because he's amazing yeah Yeah. he's good at reading people hello um yes you can do you know how to use the can opener here bring it over to me and i'll start it for you and then will you lock my door on your way back out you can say hi to jen it's okay come over here and say hi we're just talking about (laughs) books okay sorry so the child wanted beetroot so that's why we were interrupted um, should you not have done a 12-hour-long Twitter thread about teaching her how to use a can opener? <laughs> oh, my God. Bean Dad. <laughs> that was only in January. It was like a lifetime ago. It was a lifetime ago. That's because every lockdown day is like a month. That's true. So, yeah, we've got Laszlo reading Minya and, yeah, 
That is, and you know what I found interesting is that they all had this idea that they kind of understood Minya's power, and they were like, well, you know, we can see the ghost's eyes and understand, but then when Minya takes full control of Sarai in order to manipulate Laszlo, Sarai realizes that, oh no, Minya can actually control everything about every ghost, and the fact that she left that kind of hatred in their eyes was just another way to stoke that fear in the godsborn, and had nothing to do with people still having control yeah i mean i kept thinking of like the way she had saturated herself with all of this hatred like she was feeling it she was dealing with it she was holding these people and of course she's holding them and they only have this experience of hatred that she and sarai together have encouraged and sown through these Mm -hmm. dreadful nightmares so she's kind of in this hell of her own making and she's just like steeped in it Mm -hmm. and so she can't get out of it and it's like it's enough when sarai and laszlo are like making out she's like hang on they're happy i can feel that in that yeah. thread like that is a very different feeling to what i'm used to and that's like it's a terrible environment to be in and i also wonder if you know how she keeps that fear in the ghost's eyes i wonder if she does that as a reminder to herself as well because she doesn't want to forget she doesn't want to be complacent she feels so much guilt for what happened on that day right like she carries the death of all those kids on her own shoulders because she feels like she should have done more and there was something else she carries on her shoulders that we didn't realize until yes. this reading which is the ellens mm. um and in order to save them she had to kill the ellens which is the biggest like shock i think that was horrible though like yeah. the that memory when the guy came in and he was like oh i'll go get El- errol fane because he should have the privilege mm-hmm. and minya being six years old and understanding that there is violence and that the ellens have such hatred in their eyes and they're not going to protect these children Man, that is so hard. It's so othering. And it, like this is the thing, you can't ever hate Minya. You understand her fully because you can understand what it would be like to be othered that badly. And also the fact that she has kind of compartmentalized and blocked out that memory of killing the Ellens. Like in her own mind, she has, you know, built a fence around that because she doesn't mm. want to engage with that because it's such a horrible thing that she had to do as a child. Like she's not proud of that. She doesn't rebel in that. And for someone who encourages such violence in her siblings and wants to go down and to weep and exact her revenge she actually has this she's blocked it like she doesn't Mm. want that to be part of her yeah she's a real study in contrasts the aprons um (laughs) i think there's one in the bathroom you can use mine what are we doing with aprons well she's wearing a light colored shirt and if she gets beetroot on it it will stain so i'm glad she's getting an apron but also This is the life that I lead. I, I tell people where to find things all the time. You're a finder. <laughs> I'm a Hufflepuff through and through. So helpful. <laughs> it's good at finding. <laughs> um, Yeah, so Minya is just absolutely a study in contrast. Yeah. Wanting violence, wanting vengeance, but like wanting to have that answered in a way that is controlled, I think. Yeah, I think the control aspect is a big thing for her. Like, she needs to feel in control all the time. That's why she lashes out at Laszlo when he brings Sarai's body up at the end of the last book. Because she's like, how dare you try and take this from me? She needs to be in control of the decisions that they're all making. So when she when they drug her and she wakes up, she's so mad at the fact that they've done this to her. Which, okay, fair enough. And then she's like, oh, and you left me on the floor. And she's so mad about that. But there's also this real fear of being excluded from her as well. And it's like the only way that she can make sure that she is not left behind, that she is not excluded, is to be the one in control. Bit uncomfortable, that one. I feel a bit that way sometimes. Like, I'll make myself so indispensable that everybody will need me and I'll never be rejected. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I get that completely. But what I found so fascinating about that is like, we know that this is a key part of Minya's personality, that she needs to be in control. But as soon as they go down to weep, 
and you know they're basically abandoned there and their powers start to fade Minya has the realization that to hold on to Sarai she has to let go of all the other ghosts mm. this ghost army that is currently protecting her because they're surrounded by humans who want them dead and in that moment she doesn't even think about it there's no hesitation from her at yeah. all to just let them go that's just without fanfare suddenly yeah. she's just like okay well see you later and she just holds on to Sarai and I think that is so it shows that what really matters to her is her family yeah yeah I love that priorities are observed not declared and in that moment even though she and Sarai have fought and she's definitely used Sarai as leverage she wouldn't actually let her go Mm. and she tried very hard not to she even uprooted the Ellens which I think this is such an amazing way of like looking at maybe trauma or even you know like experiences as being foundational like she's able to weed them out of her psyche which is huge and hard but if you think about all of the love that she was never able to express and she was giving it through the Ellens like Mm. making them her puppets yes but she gave them and herself a mother Mm. and caretakers she gave them all like a pair of parents to love and look after them and clean up after them and cook for them and she was doing that that was all Minya like she gave that back to herself but she had to really accept that that was part of her too rather than being little vengeance child yeah and it was almost subconscious that she was doing that with the Ellens right she it's almost like she didn't realize until that moment when she let them go and she felt that kind of emptiness inside her yeah And that's why she had so much room for vengeance because she was pumping all her good things into these external forces, right? So she was only, she was almost one dimensional. She was only vengeance because everything else she was farming out. Yeah. It's that line from the last book where it was, she wasn't a child. She was barely a person. Mm. And then of course we get introduced to a new character in this, which is Nova, which is Cora's sister. And she comes to, (laughs) <laughs> through the void or what was it called the portal the whatever portal. it is yeah so in Lainey Taylor's world building and this is across the other series as well there are several worlds all together like infinite planes but like stacked like a book basically and there are like different holes in the pages right so you can fall through one and then zip over and fall through another one so if you imagine there's Earth and Eretz, which is where her other books are set on Earth and Eretz, and then something, 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 and then this one is at the end. Zeru, I think? Is, yeah. yeah. So this one's at the end, and then uh, whatever it is that the Mazarthum are from is the one before Zeru. So mm. then they can go backwards through the other worlds. So the heart of the Citadel sits around this hole in the world, and the portal was closed off, um, and Nova was Korra's sister, and Korra is Koriko. Mm. And she's also the Wraith. Which I kind of suspected when I was reading Strange and Duma because there's this whole thing about Koriko, the goddess of secrets. No one really knew what she looked like. Unless you went to the Citadel, you didn't know she existed. Like the people of Weep never saw her, all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, what if she was the goddess of secrets because she's the Wraith and therefore she's flying around? But I thought maybe she transformed into the Wraith. And there was a part of me that thought maybe she wasn't killed because no one knows she exists and therefore she's still flying around. But no, she she was killed. R.I.P. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me wonder if there are moths around still, like little remnants Mm. of Sarai, you know? Or if, like, because her ghost was caught, that, like, maybe because Wraith was gone and so much of her was in Wraith. I think it's just interesting that Strange the Dreamer sort of builds up this whole idea of the Misathum as being evil, Mm. you know, they're enslaving these people, blah, blah, blah. And in this, you start to see this whole geopolitical element coming into it. And actually, Scathus is just an evil person. Or an evil being, rather. 
And it's not that all of the Mizatham are bad or anything like well, that. It's just that he also. is... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He found himself a, a dread queen. But, you know, like, it's... Yeah, it's just... He's awful from the get-go, from the very start. Yeah. I mean, leaving Nova to a terrible fate because she's a pirate and can take anyone else's power. I mean, I feel like that could have been... Like, all he had to do was just exploit the relationship between Korra and Nova. And, like, he would have been able to, like... Do, do, you know what I mean? He did not think that through. <laughs> would have hastened his, you know, rise to the top if he had a pirate who could take other people's powers away. Like, what are you doing? But he was so afraid of losing his own power that he couldn't have it, right? So he creates this villain of his own making. And I really feel for Nova because she just spends all that time just trying to get back to her sister. And then she sees Laszlo and she just thinks that it's Scathus. I mean, one meeting 200 years before... Mm. I'm not going to remember what someone looked like perfectly last month. So I do think there's something, there's an interesting parallel between Korra and Nova and then like Minya and the Godspawn, right? So Mm. you have this person who's willing to do these really heinous, horrible things, like will destroy an entire whatever to protect their family, their chosen person. But you get Nova who's actually like become really accomplished at this sort of like vengeance quest. And then you get Minya who's just starting out on it. But Nova is like the epitome of a cautionary tale because she just can't live with herself with any other outcome. Yeah, because she doesn't have anything else. Like there's the great line. I don't know in the book what page it's on, but in the Kindle, it was on page 326. And it says, there comes a certain point with hope or a dream when you either give it up or give up everything else. And if you choose the dream, if you keep on going, then you can never quit because it's all you are. Yeah. It is it all it, that is all she was, but she did get to see her one last time because of Sarai's gift. I love that. Yeah. I love that Sarai was able to like turn her nightmares, her ability to give people nightmares, into a way to like heal people. Yeah, fossick through their <laughs> trauma and figure out how to help them. When she first goes into Minya's, when Minya's unconscious and she goes into Minya's mind and she's expecting, I don't know, you know, vengeance and all this stuff. And all she has is this traumatized little six-year-old going through the same loop over and over trying to save these babies. Wrapping and them she's up telling, and putting them in the wall. I know. And she's like, it's like it just happened. Like it's still happening over and over all the time. And Laszlo asks her, what, you know, what do you want to do? And she says, I want to get her out of there. Like all mm. she wants to do is find a way to help Minya and so they keep Minya drugged because they know they can't reason with her when she's conscious <laughs> no. so they're like mm, let's just keep her unconscious until we can figure this out it's so it's so much it is so much I love I think Sarai has like taken Laszlo's beautiful optimism and really found hope in it and Laszlo mm-hmm. is just still full of wonder I mean rage as well righteous fear oh my gosh times. oh my gosh there was a great line where I was really worried for him and I think it oh, let's see if I wrote it down is it where he's talking to Nova after she's... Yeah. So Nova has locked him in his little Misartham cage after taking away his power and um, taken him to a different world. And he thinks Sarai is dead because obviously Minya has been turfed out into weep. And he says, page 448, There was a new darkness in, in him, as though a root of his soul had tapped down into a hidden pool of poison and drunk, tainting him with vengeance and a will to do violence that he had never known before. And it was just this moment where I was so worried for him because this is pure, lovely Laszlo who can't be angry and who can't do anything. And now this terrible thing had happened to him. And it was such a nice juxtaposition to something he'd said earlier in the book. So on page 117, when Minya had taken control of Sarai and Sarai was like pleading with Laszlo, no, don't do what she says, you know, if don't you love me? 
even though they had previously agreed that he would let her go and yeah. he wouldn't do Minya's bidding, but Minya was now using her control of the Sarai to manipulate him. And he crumbles and he gives in, and it says on page 117, Many a choice is made in this way by pretending it makes itself, and many a fate is decided by those who cannot decide. Yeah. It's kind of this, I think, being like, well, I had no choice. Oh, the decision was made for me. These stories we tell ourselves to basically sleep at night. (laughs) Yeah. It happened, not... I could have been an active participant. (laughs) Yeah. And there are so many things that we, like, we could do to change what's happening like we could make those take those steps or we could continue to stand firm and sometimes it is just like we just can't do it for whatever reason but and i think sparrow is such a great example of just doing what you think is right in this because she sees an opportunity with minya she's like okay you know what we should do we should drug her and Mm -hmm. then we can just de-escalate the situation and ruby helps her and then when Errol Fane and Azarina stabbed, she just goes in and she's like, I have a theory. I'm going to go test it. And everyone is just like, what is Sparrow doing? She doesn't hesitate. She just goes and tries. What a beautiful thing. She's the run toward one, just like Laszlo is. Always better to run toward. I do love Laszlo kind of threatening that um, he's going to eliminate Nova. He's like, don't worry. Just you wait. You'll slip up. I'll be there. Like, he's like mm-hmm. not messing around. And I think I actually wrote like, get you a man who can do both. <laughs> Yeah. Isn't that the dream you want? Someone who's like so gentle and full of wonder and lovely, but like also really willing to mess someone up. Yeah. And reasonably as well. I mean, yeah. Nova in this moment is completely spiraled and whether or not you can understand how she ended up there, she is not going to do nice things. She is. And in the end, she even, even her allies, she basically locks up because even they are saying, hey, maybe this is not the way to go. But she's just snapped. The three that she has are Weren, uh, Rook, and Kiska. Is it Kiska? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she has these three, and they're the last children that were taken through the portal before Minya would have been. Mm-hmm. And she got there. She stole a boat. She got there. She got to the auction site, killed everybody who came looking for them, trained them as her own little like henchmen, I guess, and has just been waiting for that portal to open. So they've had this life, like 15 years, of growing up, so they're all about Laszlo's age, but all they've known is Nova and her vengeance. And even they are like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a bit much, mm. which says something to me, because when you are steeped in that kind of culture, it's really hard to just pull yourself away and be like, yeah, no, actually. Mayhaps this is not the way to go. Yeah, it's like um, Finn from the force awakens being able to say no i don't want to do this it's exactly like you said though like this parallel between minya and nova because there's that line you know that minya says it was her oldest truest reflex have an enemy be an enemy Mm -hmm. nova is the same so now that her people are turning against her she's like well okay you're my new enemy now yep which is it's wild to me like i love that sarai was able to recognize Kiska from the dream that she had walked in and she got the names from Minya's dreams as well like it it was so lucky she had been walking around in Minya's dreams even though Minya had expressly forbade it like that's a violation of privacy but I also think there was something generous about it I don't know how I feel about it really need to think about that hmm okay let's talk about Thion yes let's talk about Thion you've been so patient okay Okay, so first up, I need to commend him because he is just the best and I love him so much. But anyway, I love... He has grown. He has changed. Basically, all my notes is because of Thion. I've taken so many notes of like his little sections because I just love it so much. But I love basically our first introduction of Thion in this book is when he is standing 
where all this chaos has happened and there are cracks in the ground and he's just looking at where the anchor was and he's minding his own business lost in thought as he is because he has no friends and everyone's fleeing the city right and then Calixte turns up and she's like oh I thought you fled with the others and he says then you're a poor judge of character <laughs> which I love but it's also the start of the Calixte Thion friendship which yes. who would have seen that coming but basically she just goads him into going down into this hole and they discover the library of Zosma. Oh, it's Zosma, the other one. Weep. <laughs> I love that she shows off for him and she doesn't apologize. And she was also really frank with him. Like, I think that's what really gets Thion, right? He's so used to being deferred to and put on mm-hmm. this pedestal, which we all know, like, fame, we've talked about fame as being this other kind of othering. And I know we're going to get into that more when we read Fangirl, because it's one of the themes. But he has always been put, like, aside or treated mm-hmm. differently. And, like, what happens in private to him is either extremely shameful, like, mm-hmm. his thoughts and feelings, it's alluded to very strongly that he's gay and it has been confirmed in canon through a later mm-hmm. story on Lainey Taylor's patron-only Patreon that he is, in fact, got the hots for Ruza. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just not allowed in Zosma, right? So he's never been able to be himself. He's apart, above, aside. And then Calixti comes in and is just like, what, what? Let's go hang out. Let's go do some stuff. I'm going to, like, relentlessly drag you. And he's like, what? Oh, gosh, fine. But Laszlo did the same thing. Yeah, I know. It's so good because he says on page 86, it's like he seethed with resentment for the bounding girl who'd lured him into danger as though like his life were worth no more than hers to be thrown away on senseless risk. Uh-huh. And then he also, he relates that to Laszlo as well because he talks about the moment when he thought if, you know, he said he thought Strange would meekly subside while Thion stole his work and his dream and he'd been wrong because of course Laszlo goes on this great adventure and it's really, I think that really more than anything caused Thion to have a real identity crisis because mm. he, you know, Laszlo forced him to reframe his life. Yeah, he is, was that great line about he wasn't the protagonist in everyone's story. Mm. Like he just thought everyone else was on a side quest but he was it and it was like what you mean they're their own heroes (laughs) and he is just you know he is driven by a purpose like so yes he's this pampered you know rich boy but he also when he has a goal he works really hard towards it so he works really hard to get distill Azoth and do all these things and so when they find this library he still wants to save the library because as he says you know he was a scholar too and he loves books and so he tries to do this tries to work to get the books out and that's really what Ruza appreciates about him like Ruza is real dismissive of him yeah because he thinks that he's always thought he was better than everyone which he has but he's still there he's still doing the work he hasn't run away like the other Ferengi did no he's not in a carriage like Ibis Todd complaining about the fact that like it's going so slowly and I just love this line he had on page 179 where Ruza's giving him some trouble about something while they like check stacking these books and he says he felt like a frayed rope that could snap at any moment but then he'd felt like that for years and he hadn't snapped yet the few remaining fibers holding him together were apparently made of strong stuff oh that's so good i just love it so much and then he puts the book away and he tries to sneak it so that he could show laszlo later (laughs) like that is so cute and I also just love that when Laszlo's coming down from the Citadel, finally, I'm sorry, Laszlo, you've been up there a long time. You should have come to talk to people it's like way before days. that. It's like days. It's really irresponsible. Um, I'm just saying, like, I love you, Laszlo, but you could have just, I don't know, come down, just be like, we're just sorting through something, I'll be back. But no, you just leave everyone down there wondering about you, where Errol Fane and Azarina are going to come up and see you. That's how bad it is. And then when they see him coming down, you know, everyone's sprinting towards wherever they were going. The garrison. I think it's the garrison, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. yeah the garrison. And 
Sion is behind everyone and as they run through the, the gates he's like oh they're not gonna let me in because no one likes me and so he's like going through this monologue oh I can walk around and blah yeah. blah blah and Rusa just pokes his head out of the door being like you coming? what are you doing? <laughs> yeah <laughs> So good. I'm here for Ruza just basically being like, well, I was an idiot, but like, all right, we'll make it work. If I was wrong about Laszlo, maybe I was wrong about Thion too. It's a growth baby. And in that same moment, so he's watching Laszlo fly up with, and he's taking Errol Fane with him and Azarine's going. On page 270, it's like, you know, inside a second, Thion's mind flashed before an alternate history of his own life. And he's going through all his choices that he'd made with Laszlo. Like, mm-hmm. what if I hadn't pushed him down the stairs? What if I was nicer to him? What if I hadn't stolen his books? What if we'd worked together? And he goes, he wondered, was it, you know, was it a weight he could shed or throw off? Or was it forever a part of him as much as his bones and his hearts? And this is the moment where he's really changing because he wants to do things differently. He wants to be part of the story. He doesn't want to be the center or the hero of it. He just wants to be part of it. And now he's really regretting and wondering if he could change his life. And how do you go back from that? How do you make such a huge error and like realize you may have lost something that was so incredible just because you were blind to it or something? I don't know. But then he goes on and saves the day, doesn't he? He does. He saves Sarai. Like that. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I love that he just stands there watching this tragedy unfold and his like sharp little brain. It's like ticking picking away. away and, and he's like, wait, I know. I've got some Mazathium. Will this help? Is it enough? And it was enough. And I love that Shuela had this observation about that because she's got the god spawn at her house. And, you know, they're talking about Thion Nero surprised them all by saving Sarai. And they're like, he seemed to surprise himself as much as anybody. And she says, there's a humility that comes with this understanding and it was a good look for him, knocking the Hoto away and leaving a pleasing vulnerability in his place. Mm. As though the world needed Thion Nero to be any better looking. <laughs> um... I lost my paper. Okay. Um, yeah, like I love Thion's arc here. And someone, I think someone on Tumblr said that Thion Nero gets the redemption arc that Draco Malfoy wishes he had. And I completely agree. You know, I totally agree as well, because I think the threads are here for Draco as well. There are moments here where you could see that same, you could apply the same thinking to Draco, right? Like this idea that when the stakes are so high and he can't kill Dumbledore, that is the moment where he realizes that I can't be the bad guy that everyone needs me to be. Like my family needs me to be this. I can't actually do it. And then when he eventually doesn't dob in Harry and everyone when they're at the manor, that's kind of the same as... Thion realizing that, hey, I can help someone for no other reason than they need it, right? But Draco never has any agency. That's the issue. Thion has agency. Yeah, Thion's privilege has enabled him to escape the trajectory that he was given and move towards something else that was more interesting for him. But, like, he was able to engineer it in such a way. I mean, he did steal Laszlo's books and dream, yes. But he did that to engineer his own escape. And he was able to do it in such a way that the queen couldn't really refuse. Mm. So he filled her coffers. She got a priceless crown of lace. And off he went to get the heck out of Zosma. And thank goodness he did. Because like, and weep, you get to be yourself. Even if it's imperfect. And we see that over and over again with like Azreen and Errol Fane. And all of the other people who have lived through and survived this horrible, traumatic oppression. They still get to be themselves. And it's just allowed. You are allowed to be yourself. Yeah. And this is the true tragedy of the Harry Potter series that Draco doesn't have a redemption. Yeah. It's why I love the deleted scene of the last Deathly Hallows film where he has this, like, you know, a 30 second scene that never made it into the film where he actually throws his wand to Harry at the end. And that is the wand that Harry uses to battle Voldemort, which is still canon because Draco does, you know, Harry does have Draco's wand to defeat Voldemort. But anyway, the point is that gives him so much closure as a character. And it drives me insane 
that she who will not be named has such a beef <laughs> with Draco having any kind of redemption, but she allows Snape to have a redemption arc. She allows Dudley to have a redemption arc. Sirius, who is arguably a problematic character, has a redemption arc. Like, not a good father figure at all. Like, I'm sorry, fun uncle does not mean that you're qualified to raise a child. And it's bizarre to me that there's this real adverse reaction against Draco, a literal child. He's not allowed to be redeemed. He's not allowed to be given any sort of grace. But these grown adults can have grace. I hate it. Draco Stan over here. (laughs) Thanks, I hate it. Yeah, look, I mean, Draco's an underrated character because he has so many opportunities and he rejects them. But then when he really needs them, he doesn't get them. That's the real tragedy of Draco. I like the flipped image, like, you know, the idea that him and Harry are actually two sides of the same coin. You've got the light and the dark. I like that reading of the two of them. Thion sort of, like, lets me scratch that itch because Thion sees that he's made a mistake. He can redeem himself. And at the end, he has this amazing scene with Laszlo where he returns miracles for breakfast and he's like, sorry, I took your books. And Thion has this moment where he just says, it turned out that sometimes it's enough to start doing things differently now. He doesn't have to keep atoning for what he did. He can just be a different person now. And I just want that for all of us. I want all of us to just be like, actually, yes, I did some terrible things, but it's okay. I can be a better person now. Like, that's what we should all have. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I love it too. What's that proverb? The best time to plant a tree is 10 years ago. The second best time is now. Yeah. Plant the tree. Do the nice thing. Give the book back. Be a better person. Stop being a jerk. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Thion had such a good... Like, I just love everything about his character growth, especially here, because all of that bravado just falls away. I mean, this is the thing with manual labor, though. Like, it's impossible to look schmick while you're doing it. And he's basically, like, pushing a donkey cart full of books and digging around in, like, a tomb slash library underground basement. And, like, his first thought is, like, man, Laszlo should see this. He's not in himself. (laughs) He's out of all of his comfort zones. I love that he's getting this opportunity to just really understand that love of knowledge is what binds him and Laszlo. Like, that's what first got them started Mm. in their little orbit around each other um but now he's got Calixti to tease him and Ruza to take his hand before he can huff off feeling wounded that he doesn't understand what's happening Ruza who talks about him he's like it was book salvage duty again today with the ridiculous alchemist in his ridiculous face Ruza's got it bad man I know and he's talking about him like wrinkling his nose with unconvincing distaste and (laughs) Calixti is just like "Mm mm-mm Mm-mm. You idiots. It's like, it's requited, but they're both idiots. This is the AO3 tag for this. <laughs> they have one brain cell between them. <laughs> Lord. Yeah, I think because Ruza doesn't talk to Thion, Thion doesn't think he's that smart. But when he actually starts talking and he knows enough of the language that Thion's like, oh, I guess he isn't actually an idiot. And then, like, oh. because Thion's doing the work, Ruza's like, oh, I guess he's not, like, just a useless dandy. <laughs> like, they just needed to see each other doing the other person's thing. And I love that Thine has this kind of little breakdown about the fact that he didn't learn the language because now they're all talking it and he's like, oh, I don't know anything. And the reason he didn't learn was basically spite because he was mad yes. at like Laszlo being included. <laughs> so he's like, I don't need to know your language anyway. I am better than you. It's just like so dumb. And now he's having serious regrets because he's like, oh, maybe I should have learned the language. I love it so much. It's literally he's cut his own nose off to spite his face there. <laughs> 
Which is often the way when you're like doing mm. something, you're just like, no, I'm not doing it. That style and <laughs> this entire thing. I have to say, this is definitely like a, a trend of my friends who are super, super smart and like really capable. Um, I know that you're guilty of this and my husband's also guilty <laughs> of this. Like I'm, I'm crap at everything. I'll just keep going because I'm like, ah, it's all right. I'll just keep doing it until I do it. Yeah. But like my husband is so good at so many things that when he finds something he's not good at, he's like, no, it's worthless. I don't want to be near it. And I'm like, <laughs> you barely tried. That is me too. Yeah. And like, <laughs> just because you're competent at 99% of the things you do does not mean that you should shirk on the 1%. You should try harder on the 1%. Oh, it is so frustrating because like one of the things that I've always wanted to do is draw, right? Like I wish I was an artist, but then I'll draw something. I'd be like, oh, it's terrible. And I immediately throw it in the bin. I'm like, maybe if you just spent more time drawing, you'd get better at it. Imagine. Imagine such a thing. That's it. That's the whole, that's how you get better at art. Yeah. Well, you take classes and you do the work. No. Instead, I just go, oh, well, guess I'm not Picasso. (laughs) Throws it in the bin. And thank goodness for that because Picasso was a jerk. He was a jerk. Did make me cry though when I saw Guernica in person. That's how I felt about the water lilies. I saw the water lilies at um, one of the museums in Cardiff, and like I couldn't believe it, but I just started weeping. And I was like, "What the heck?" When you see it in person, it's like completely different. Yeah, I don't know. I was, I guess, naive, but I didn't expect Guernica to be as big as it is. It's humongous. It takes up this entire museum gallery wall in Madrid. And yeah, I walked into this room, and I was just the scale of it, what it meant, the enormity of it, everything just like washed over me in that moment and I was so moved I've never been moved by a painting like that but anyway art been over two years since I've been to the art gallery and I'm salty about it mm, one wait day to be vaccinated <laughs> someday okay let's not think about that that makes us sad <clears throat> Let's talk about Errol Fane and the quote on page 60 when he's telling Azarine off for implying that Laszlo is evil. And he has this thought that in the young Ferengi, Errol Fane's starved and stunted paternal feelings had found a place to fix. He was more than fond of the young man. He felt protective of him. And in spite of everything, he couldn't help trusting him. Yes, Errol Fane. You are starting to see that people are people first, Errol Fane. I love it. Look, I think honestly... Scathus and Isigal, right? They were who they were before they came to weep, before they started subjugating people. Like, this was a deliberate thing that Scathus wanted to do, which was to amass incredible amounts of wealth by selling his babies to whoever needed them, right? It's gross, but he was already that person. It was wrong of Errol Fane to think that everyone was like that, but he had no evidence to the contrary. And he's only now realizing that actually, you know, like in the nature versus nurture, Scathus and Isigal were the exceptions and not the rule. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but I love that he's basically gone, yeah, maybe I was wrong. Like, this is good that I was wrong. Yeah, it's good that I'm wrong. And also we can trust Laszlo. Mm-hmm. And Azarine is like, but he turned blue and insinuated himself into our group and like she's actually not wrong she has every right to be suspicious just because we know laszlo doesn't mean the facts are any less like damning but i'm proud of him for like sticking up for laszlo and i'm also proud of azarine for not being like well you're wrong and i hate you goodbye because she just takes his hand Mm. she's like all right you're my husband i'm here i'm gonna do the thing that i've been doing for 20 years and just be with you and she does she holds his hand and then he holds her hand And then they die together in an endless loop. Yeah, like 25,000 times or some nonsense. That's okay. Did you cry? I didn't want to tell you about it because I think I had just like... Oh, broke my heart because, you know, when he says, I wish, and she she's like, I wish, what do you wish? And you don't get a conclusion to that. And I'm like, oh, this would just be typical if they actually did die here. But then Sparrow ran over to them. I'm like, oh, she's going to save them. But then I was really worried she was only going to save one of them. Like, I, I thought she's mm-hmm. only going to save Errol Fane and it'll be this just another thing that he has to carry as the fact 
like that he wasted all this time with Azarine. And I <laughs> but it's okay, everyone. It's okay. Paro comes through. Sparrow's amazing. I love I mean, her. she almost gets killed for it because people think that she's killing them. Yeah, that was such a huge risk for her. But she, you're right. She just jumped in and did the right thing. And it's because she does that that they don't end up killing the godspawn, right? Because if Errol yeah. Fane hadn't stood up and said, hey, hey, no, no, they're fine. Yeah. The humans wouldn't have stopped to listen. He's about the only one they listen to, even when things are scary and bad. Mm. That whole scene, I feel like I just blitzed through it like so quickly because I just was like, what's going to happen? What's gonna... I mean, I've read it before, but like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Because you want them to live. And at the end, when, you know, they're about to go off and find the babies, like, you know, Errol Fane says, you need warriors. And then he says, but it's not going to be us. And Azreen's like, yep, we're going to go do this. This is our <laughs> life. And then Errol Fane's like, but like, not me and not my wife. We're going to have a life. Because I don't feel that Sarai and Laszlo have it all. But I feel like Errol Fane and Azarine, not that they've earned it. Nobody really earns that. But, like, they've worked enough and they get the most satisfying conclusion, right? Mm. They get it to have a life, right? Yeah. I have a question for you, though. Do you think that it's because Errol Fane died that Isigal's hold on him was truly broken? Oh, I like that. It's kind of, again, Harry Potter. It's because Harry dies and comes back. So Errol Fane has died and come back. But I think it started happening before. It sort of started happening when Sarai died. That was the moment, I think, that he really crumbled because again his love won out over the hate like it did when he killed Isagol right like this was another moment where actually that conflict within him was triumphed over by a love and a regret that he felt oh but the hate that he felt was what started the whole massacre right because he was mm. hating them more than he loved Isagol he hated her for what they were doing to Azarine more than he loved Isagol mm. so now it's flipped the other way I'll take that that's a good reading yeah and I love the ending when they describe that you know they have a kid and then they get to meet Sarai and Laszlo later and Shuela's still there because she goes with them because they need a grandmother and, oh, she's and her just house the... fell in the river <laughs> like oh I don't have anywhere to live Errol finds like we can build you a new house no no that's fine I don't mind they need someone to cook for them and they do and I'm glad it's I'm glad it's Suela she's the best I love Shuela I love that she takes them in to like feed these five orphans and Ruby makes such a spectacle of herself because she's never had real cake basically and Shuela's like this is the best <laughs> most rewarding reaction to her baking that she's ever had I love it she goes with them because she's like they needed a grandmother someone who knew how to do things who could teach them how to take care of themselves and provide a seasoned perspective as they face their unguessable trials. She's so smart. She's the best. I love that her ability to love and accept people like transcends any of the pain and misery that she felt. And I also love that she acknowledges that she didn't know what to think about her granddaughter until she heard that she had died. And then she was like, but I want her. Mm. Like, she acknowledges that. And it's like, it has come too late, she thinks. But she still is able to be like... But I want this person. I want. I wanted this granddaughter. In that way, I think she's like um, the same as Laszlo in that she's just able to like see things for how they are. Yeah, and she has this lovely line on page five hundred five where she says she had not grown up in an era of optimism, but that didn't mean she lived without dreams. Wishes don't just come true. They're only the target you paint around what you want. You still have to hit the bullseye yourself. Which is the best life advice. Um, can we talk about Ruby and Farrell? <laughs> I was a bit sad that it ended so badly. I mean, like, also, she's completely boy crazy, so. She's just going to bounce around, crushing on different guys. Like. And that's fine. That's fair. She's Tina from Bob's Burgers. <laughs> what I love about Tina is they just let her be a boy crazy teenage girl. Like, she's not yeah. shamed for it. She's just, you know, well, that's just Tina. And I think that's yeah. just so great. 
Um, I always, I just kind of assumed that Feral and Ruby might just get back together again. It felt like one of those breakups that were like, no, we're not talking. You know how some couples are just on and off, on and off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, he sort of mentioned that she'd already, like, made eyes at someone else. Um, it, like, was it Rook that she was mm. looking at? And, like, Feral was like, mm, I don't like this kid. I like how he kept trying to deepen his voice every time he was around Laszlo or anyone. <laughs> the audiobook does a really good job of that, too. Like, I was listening to it when I was painting on, um, Sunday. Steve West actually does, like, the feral voice, and then he's like, oh, wait, he deepened his voice. And then he, like, brings it just a bit down, but not right to where he does Laszlo. And I'm like, damn, Steve West, you are good at this. Poor feral. When he's so upset about the book as well, like, giving Laszlo the book, he's like, what have you done to it? Because Laszlo's made it change. Oh, gosh. But, I mean, if you're going to have a book with an inscrutable text, like, you do give it to the polyglot, right? Like, you do Mm. give it to someone who literally decoded a language that was basically a dead language without any help. Can we talk about Sarai's Elilith? Yes. Because that made me so happy. I had forgotten what it was and I was like what is it? Um, but it's the moon and the stars. And it's all shiny. I'm glad she finally got it. Like I love that they get to be together but the reason it makes me sad is because she still doesn't have a body and she still doesn't necessarily have autonomy. Like Minya's better at the end. At the end, Minya finally starts to grow up in the, like, physical sense of the word, because she's not burning all of her energy, keeping hundreds of ghosts, <laughs> thousands of ghosts, present and substantive. Um, but I still feel like Sarai doesn't get that, like, f- genuine freedom of being an autonomous individual, which makes me really sad. Yeah, and she doesn't get to experience anything. Like, there's this description of her experiencing things because she can share Laszlo's mind. So as soon as he knows what something feels like, she can feel it through his kind of, like, memories because she's in his yeah. dreams and whatever but it's not hers like she never gets to experience anything for herself yeah. every every experience that she's going to get is going to be filtered through laszlo which is like he loves her and he thinks that everything is exciting and cool so that's actually probably the best circumstance but like still it's not going to be her her body experiencing these things first no i love how obsessed they are with each other though the idea that they kind of like it's they meet each other in dreams because she's touching him and they're sleeping and whatever. And then they spend all day together. I'm like, you guys need to chill out. You need some alone time. I'm scheduling in 10 minutes of alone time. <laughs> Neither of them are introverts. They're each other verts. Gosh, it's a lot. I think I read a review of this story that said, if you like a feverish love story, and I was like, yes, that's what this is. Because it does feel so intense. But it also has that truth of when you're really into someone and what, like, you just do think about them all the time. Like, I know that not everyone gets crushes, but like, I definitely have had that like whole body obsession feeling type of crush before Mm. where you're just like hyper aware and you just think about them all the time. And like, it's so dumb. You want your brain back, but also like, it's delicious to be in it. Hmm. So I love that they get to be in that with each other. It's just great. And it's nice that they actually do get to be together after all of that. You know, like, yes, she is a ghost, but he is a god. So who knows how long he's going to live. And yeah, I guess she lives as long as Minya lives. And Minya is also a god, so. Yeah. Oh, actually just reminded me of something else I wanted to talk about. Minya's gift and how immense this weight is that she's been holding for all this time. So Nova is so used to just stealing people's power, right? And she's, like, really powerful, whatever. And she snatches Minya's power when she realizes that Sarai is a ghost. And when she does, it almost ends her because she staggers under the weight and she can't hold it. And it's, like, really intense. And she lets go of everything else but the Mazarthium. Yeah. 
And then she gives it back to Minya. Minya's like, what? Oh my gosh, I didn't even know I was carrying this until it wasn't there anymore. I guess because it was a gradual build-up, right? So she starts with two ghosts, then three, then four, then five, and then she's been the ultimate weight trainer. Like, she's squatting yeah. at PB here with her ghosts. <laughs> But holy gosh, yeah, I can't imagine like thousands of people being able to control them, never really sleeping. I'm like, no wonder she's just a little like tiny, vengeful automaton. Yeah, it's no wonder she's grumpy all the time. I'd be grumpy too, good lord. Only like having 20 minute naps, kind of like Hennessy, <laughs> just 20 minute power naps. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about Mr. Puzzle too. Yes, hello. Mr. They're here. Can you take it with you in case you change your mind? Okay. Can you close the door too, please? Thank you. Find more things, please. That's okay. This one I that's one of my things I let her play with, so it's a little Japanese template to make envelopes and gift boxes. I I think one thing I really want to talk about is um Zara and Calixti's romance, which mm-hmm. they're like because they're also another couple that are just unashamedly and unabashedly into each other. And they don't have secrets, and I love that. Um, yeah, I just <laughs> Calixte is great. She's just so happy-go-lucky, kind of falling in with things. And I love the whole thing about her being part spider. How she folds herself up into tiny pieces to get into tiny places. Like, wow, how amazing is she? She's like an acrobat. Did you, um, I know we didn't talk about this beforehand, but did you want to spotlight a character from this book? Um, I kind of do, yeah. Um, I kind of have two. I was going back and forth about who I would want to spotlight. Um, I think... I would like to say that Minya deserves a little bit of a spotlight because not only did she have this horribly traumatic incident happen to her, but she also had to do a really unforgivable thing. Like, she was already on Errol Fane's level, which is part of the reason she hates him so much, because she had to survive by becoming a senseless murderer, and he had to survive by becoming a senseless murderer. And so they each hate in themselves the thing that they hate about the other person, Mm -hmm. basically. But I just wanted to say, I love that after being a child for 15 years longer than she should have been, she's still, like, annoyed when she gets a loose tooth. (laughs) And I really wonder what's going to happen when she goes through puberty and has to deal with all of those feelings on top of, like, everything else. Because it's not fun. It's, yeah. Especially when you think about, like, you know, she's twenty, she's 23 years old or whatever. She's mm. been on this planet for 23 years. Yeah. And now, yeah, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so that mini would be my first one. And I think the other person I really want to, like, shout out is Koriko. Because mm. she sent her sister this task and felt like it was... She felt regret over sending her sister on this path. Like, she wanted her sister to come and find her, and she was doing everything she could, but she was in this impossible situation as well, where she had to keep feeding these children to fill the coffers of Scathis's wealth, basically. Mm. Like, she was trapped by him, and she was not free, and she wanted to be freed, and she wanted to be with her sister again, and just could it couldn't happen. It could never happen. Mm. Um, and so I, I really want to say that, like, yeah, sometimes you don't get the ending that you want, and sometimes you are made to do the thing that you hate doing. But, you know, maybe the ghost of you that lives on can save some children from starvation. Maybe you can squirrel away a smith to another land in the very faint hopes that you can make a difference in another way. Like, it was just, she was just planting trees and hoping that some took root. And I love that she was still trying as best as she could, even though she was really not able to do very much, so. Yeah, like, she kept trying right until the end, even after all those years of basically being enslaved, right? 
Yeah. And then like, this is the other thing, like everyone viewed her as a monster, but she was also enslaved. Mm. She was maybe his first slave. She has that exchange with Nova where, you know, Nova says it isn't weak to ask for help. And she says it's weak not to help yourself. But I tried and I almost did it. And I just, I really felt for her in that moment because I don't think it's weak not to help yourself. Like sometimes you can't. Yeah. I mean, like Nova took the hard line because she was just at a point where she had to like do the awful thing, which is why I drew that comparison with Minya. Mm. Like Nova is Minya without the intervention, right? Yeah. This is hard. A lot of people having to do really hard things make a lot of hard choices. Screw Scathis. That guy's the worst. He is the worst. So what about you? Do you have anybody you want to spotlight? <laughs> oh, this will come as a massive shock to you <laughs> that I want to spotlight Thion Nero. But especially because like at the end of this, you know, he's decided to go on this journey with them and he's expanding his horizons and there's the line on page 494 where he says he hadn't gone back in time and done everything differently to get to this place it turned out that sometimes it's enough to start doing things differently now and I just think that is so important and it's such an important thing to remember that just because you made decisions in the past that maybe didn't work out doesn't mean you can't make new decisions now you can't start being a new person it's fine you can try to be better every day when you wake up you can try to be better and that is enough and I just think Thion getting to that point, getting to the point where he realizes you can help people without wanting something out of it. You can live your life just for yourself. You know, you can be free and you can do all these things and be the best version of yourself every day. It's such a massive change for him from being the scared, claustrophobic existence that he had to this. And it makes me so happy. And I just want to give him a big, big hug. I'm so proud of him that he did some hard, like hard self-interrogation. Yeah. Even though his impulse was often like, well, forget it, I'm going. Like, <laughs> the people around him kind of kept him in check, literally sometimes by grabbing his hand and saying, no, no, stay. You're mm. still welcome. We still want you here. Like, don't go off in a huff. Or are you coming? Come on, hurry up. Like, yeah, you belong. Which so everybody who's lovely. ever had that, like, oh, I'm not part of it. Like, feeling that, oh, yeah, hurry up. Come on, you're with us, right? Like, oh, I am. Okay. Like, Yay. it's a good feeling. Yeah, it really is. And I'm just glad that he got that. Because he was so lonely and like that moment when he talks about the fact that, you know, he'd have to go back to Zosma and marry some girl that maybe one day he could ask her if this is what she thought her life would be as well. Like he has that whole inner monologue about having to marry and not really being into women or and just thinking that mm. maybe there's something wrong with them. I'm like, yes, well, actually, you're just maybe not into women and that's okay, <laughs> Thion. But, you know. And also, like, do any of them want to be there? Because, and this is the thing, we see this so much in fiction, especially fantasy fiction, and especially fantasy fiction for way. It's all about the girls who are, like, bucking the trend. I've just started The Near Witch, and, like, this mm. this this protagonist, she's really like, no, I don't want to do that. I My father raised me to be a tracker. Like, she's really re rebelling against the rigidity of the gender roles that she's been given within this, like, society and the structure. Which, by the way, the society doesn't seem sustainable, so I'm annoyed at it. Um <laughs> that resolves but um so I, like we get this a lot from the female perspective especially in YA but you don't get it a lot from the male perspective mm. where like I don't really want to marry one of those girls and like they're fine I guess but like that's not what I want and, and that's like, not what I want my life to be that's Thion's thing right yeah. he doesn't want this to be his life so yeah that's a really yeah. interesting observation it's nice that we get this from a boy's point of view of like but just because I have all of the power and opportunity doesn't mean I actually want it to look like this mm. no thank you and fair enough. I wouldn't want to be married to Thion Nero either. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, I love that character development. So good. I know. It's so good for everyone. Like, I got to get you reading her other books because they're just as delightful. I'm reading the other one you told me to read at the moment. The Naomi Novak one. <gasps> 
spinning silver. No, the other or... one. The school one. The evil the school that's yes. eating people. <laughs> like, wow, a this dead, is a, a lot. deadly education. Yeah. How much do you love Elle, though? Do you love her? I do love her. She's grumpy. I knew you would. <laughs> it's like, she's perfect. I've only read two chapters, but yes, I'm very into it. I think it's nice. It's nice when people have the ability to do evil and like fight actively against it. So we're going to do Thor, probably. Thor Ragnarok is a one shot. And then we'll get into Fangirl, which will be really nice and light compared to everything else that we've read. <laughs> Nobody dies. He comes back to life. Um, <laughs> like There's only a couple of hospital visits, but they're pretty tame. It's very chill. Some interpersonal drama, but yeah, no life or death stakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The boy trouble is pretty tame as well. I'm going to have to just order all of these books because I live in Perth now. <laughs> <laughs> fun so annoying for you and i'm so sorry and if the lockdown lifts and you want to like go hang out with someone else your own age my friend lucy is around and she is delightful so yeah i will text her (laughs) yeah because also her boyfriend is like a food like he has a food trucker he did have a food truck and he's an amazing he's an amazing yum yeah he talked me through a brisket one time so he's high on my list of people i was like thank you hubby yeah and I think they have a cat too, so there might be animal cuddles. Just saying. Oh, I need an animal to cuddle. Mm. Okay, well, you should wrap this up. Yes. Thank you for doing this little bonus episode. I really love that we got to just talk about this, even if it was the literary equivalent of a keg stand, how fast we read it. I'm sure we missed heaps, but I'm glad we did it. Thank you. No, thank you. It was nice just to spend some time and see where these characters ended up and a nice yeah. conclusion to a very worthwhile story that I certainly learned a lot out of. So, yeah, it's good. Yay. I'm so glad you liked it. I'm always scared when I pick something. I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. No, it was what great. she hates it? <laughs> we've never hated anything we've read. Even the hard stuff, we're like, actually, we got a lot from this. So. Yeah. No, it's good. Great. I'm excited. All right. Well, I'll speak to you soon. Yay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining Jen D and Jen B for this bonus episode. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen B with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoy listening, please rate and review this show on your podcasting platform of choice. Feel free to write an email to say hi. The email address is hello at marginalapod.com. The intro and outro music is by Scott Buckley. The full show notes and additional content can be found at www.marginalapod.com.